With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Two-part episode here. The first part is going to be John Hollinger and I running through the results of the NBA draft lottery last night. Maybe we'll talk for like five minutes about the playoffs, but we're not going to go crazy. We're only going to talk for like 30, 35 minutes or so. Nothing wild. And then the second part is going to be a great interview I did with potential lottery pick, potential first-round pick, Sadiq Bay out of Villanova. Won the Julius Irving Small Forward of the Year Award this year. Uh, expected to go. I have him, I believe, at number 13 on my mock draft right now. So really great interviews, a really great kid. But first, John Hollinger. I've never heard a more inspiring quote from a potential number one overall pick than what Anthony Edwards said on ESPN last night. He was asked by Rachel Nichols, how did playing in the SEC help you get ready for the NBA? Anthony Edwards' response, well, I had a lot of bad games, so I learned how to deal with having bad games. (laughs) If you've ever heard a more inspiring quote for a top-level draft pick, I don't know what it is than that. That says everything about this draft, doesn't it, John? 2018, this ain't. Oh, man, what a mess. It's totally ridiculous. That, uh, that this is where we're at in this draft. Yeah. Like, there was a real question last night. Like, will the team that wins the number one overall pick actually want to win the number one overall pick? I think the answer is yes, but it's, it's still yes. But you think about it a little more in a year like this one, where you're paying above a mid-level exception salary for that number one pick, and you don't even know if you're getting a, a really good player. I mean, it's of course it's worth it because. It's the draft. Somebody from this draft is going to end up being really good, probably multiple yep. players. But we, there, there just aren't a lot of sure things here. No, there aren't. And there are guys that have high upside. And the three guys that people bring up typically that have the high upside are LaMelo Ball, who I have at number one, Anthony Edwards, who I would say among people that I talk to in the NBA is probably the most common answer I still get for number one. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say that's probably true. Yeah. And then James Wiseman, who's a center who didn't play a ton this year, but scouts have been evaluating him for a few years now on the high school levels and on the feeble levels and have at least seen enough to get an opinion. Having said that, he plays the center position. I know that you are not a proponent of drafting centers uh, in the top five. Yeah, I think. I think scouts have been a little too into uh, centers if you look at the last few years in the history of it. I mean, we've had we've had guys who come up and they're really highly touted bigs, uh, especially through high school. And then by the time they get to the NBA, it's like, okay, Jaleel Okafor, like you're, you know, when, when everyone else you play against is also seven feet tall, you're actually not that good. Um, so I think it's just, it's so much harder for a big to dominate than it used to be that even when we... Like, even going back two years, what people saw with with DeAndre Ayton, who, I mean, clearly was a, a dominant college player and a dominant high school player. And don't get me wrong, he's a good NBA player. But I think if you go back and do that draft, he doesn't go number one. No. I, or second. I think he probably goes fourth, I would venture. I think That's I have him uh, fourth or fifth depending on what you think of him versus Jaron. I think Jaron versus him is still like a very real argument, given the fact that I remain unconvinced about Jaron playing the center position long term. But you're definitely right that he doesn't go number one, and that's the ultimate point of what you're trying to say. And I agree with you uh, that teams have generally put too much of an emphasis on the center position. The entire time that I've been writing about James Wiseman, I've been saying that – he is someone whose floor is like a little bit lower than what the consensus seems to be because at some point I think a team I think teams are going to realize this that centers are not quite as valuable as what you think. Now what I will say is that 
I think that the top of this board, uh, the way that the lottery shook out, did kind of do him some favors because he is in the mix for Golden State at two. He'll be in the mix for Charlotte at three, and I think he'll be in the mix for Cleveland at five. And I would be surprised if he got out of the top five. But given how the lottery could have gone, could have gone mm-hmm. Minnesota, Chicago, Atlanta, uh, Knicks, and then, you know, whoever, right? Like, he could have yeah. easily been outside of the top five. Yeah. So I think Charlotte landing at three is is a big thing for him. Because yeah. I do think that's a place – like, Charlotte is one of the teams that I wrote down that, like, okay, drafting a center makes sense for these guys. And right. so – you know, maybe they prefer a Kongwu to Wiseman. Uh, I think most people have Wiseman ahead of a Kongwu. I would question that a little bit, but let's let's just go with that for now. Um, then, then I think number three is a really plausible landing spot for him. Number two to Golden State is also if Golden State keeps that pick, which I frankly think is a little unlikely at this point. Yeah, let's just talk about, let's go from top to bottom here. I mean, what was your initial reaction when you saw that Minnesota is going to get the number one overall pick beyond, hey, Minnesota has never moved up, I believe, in draft lottery history before. Yeah, well, the one year they got the top pick, they also had the worst record. So, yes. Right. Um, The thing with uh, the T-Wolves, if you have LaMelo Ball rated as the top prospect, it raises a really interesting quandary because because of his overlap with D'Angelo Russell, who you just invested a bunch in, in both money and and draft capital uh, with that trade with Colt State. So Edwards is the obvious guy as far as fit. Uh, I do think they're going to call around and see if somebody's willing to overpay for number one. And, and, you know, they'll be, you do that, you do your due diligence, you make the calls. I think at the end of the day, they probably end up using the pick. And if so, it's probably Edwards just because I it's really hard for me to 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 figure on a a bell a ball Russell backcourt and how that works. So one trade that I've been bringing up to you that I like is Aaron Gordon to Golden State for their lottery mm-hmm. pick, right? I kind of wonder if Minnesota makes sense for this using their lottery pick to get Aaron Gordon. Because I think Aaron's actually kind of a perfect fit with Carl Towns playing the four, and he fits really well with D'Angelo Russell. And do I think Aaron Gordon is worth dropping from 1 to 15 in this draft? Maybe, maybe not. Like, I'd probably still need a little bit more from Orlando. But they have the good salary to be able to move for Aaron Gordon in James Johnson's expiring deal. Mm-hmm. And to me... The most important thing that Minnesota can do is not nail this number one overall pick in a draft that you and I, frankly, have already articulated we have concerns about. But it's keeping Carl Towns happy. And we are rapidly approaching a world where Carl Towns could ask out of Minnesota and Minnesota genuinely needs to do something about it because of his contract. Uh, Carl Towns has, I believe, four more years left on his deal. So after the summer or after the 2021-22 season, Minnesota is probably going to be in a position where to get the most for Carl Towns, if they're still not in a position to win basketball games and compete for the playoffs, they have to consider moving him. I think that keeping him happy and getting a winner around him is the most important thing that they can do. And getting guys that fill his and D'Angelo Russell's aging timeline is going to be the most important thing that they can do. So I'm actually fully in favor of a trade here for Minnesota. I think it would be really smart to explore the market. I think they need to explore it, but I think they need to be careful too because they're putting they're putting a ceiling on them on themselves going forward by not trying to uh, max out the the high end of this pick. I mean, the problem for if, for getting Aaron Gordon is that's that's all you're getting. You're you're, you're right. never getting you're never getting your third star. Um, right. If you, I mean, if you even think Russell is the second star, so I I question that. I still think they have enough overall talent shortcomings on that team that. They they need to swing a little harder for the fences than than just cashing it in for Aaron Gordon because at the end of the day if they don't get more talent, it, it Towns is leading anyway 
I think. Yeah, that's a good point. It, or, or it's not, or 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 he'll stay and they just won't be good enough. So, I I, I would probably I would probably pump the brakes on that a little bit. Um, gosh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you could you could I I could see how you can talk yourself into it, but man, get. Maybe, Turning number one into Aaron Gordon just feels a little deflating to me. Oh, it's really deflating, I think. But trying to find a way to make this roster competitive sooner rather than later is very difficult. Like, I've been, like, scouring this morning trying to it's, find guys that are available, and it's just hard. They've they've got a big challenge ahead of them because they don't have a lot of money to play with because they have two max guys already, but they don't really have anything at the two, three, four that they can count on as starter level players going forward. Maybe Beasley turns into one of those guys. Maybe Josh Okogie turns into one of those guys. But it's it's not like it's it's not like they're they're sure things to be top twenty players at their position. So that they got a lot of work to do and not a lot of resources to do it with. They already owe the future pick to uh, Golden State in the Russell trade as well. So you you can see why there would be the temptation. To, to cash in this chip, but ultimately, I think if, if you get if you get a high caliber player out of this draft at one, it solves a lot of other problems for you, and, and makes a lot of other things fit. So that that I think they go ahead and use the pick, but you you still make the phone calls, right? Yeah, you definitely make the phone calls. I guess that here would be my concern with Anthony Edwards there. Cause I agree with you. Like I don't really think you can fit LaMelo ball and D'Angelo Russell together. You'd be moving D'Angelo Russell off the ball. And I don't know that D'Angelo wants to be moved off the ball and you just acquire D'Angelo Russell because he's friends with Carl Towns in part. Yeah. And if D'Angelo is going to be unhappy, Carl's probably going to be unhappy. So that creates a quandary for you. Number two, you can't draft James Wiseman and go with like the twin towers model in the modern NBA. I just do not think that that can be a, a way that you go about building a team. I, I don't think they would take Wiseman at any pick. I, I agree with you. I don't think they would either. It That leaves Edwards as the top guy. And Edwards is a guy that at Georgia, you saw him up close multiple times. I think I've watched, I've seen him up close multiple times in high school and have watched, I think, probably 80% of the minutes he played at Georgia this year. We're talking about a nonchalant defender is a nice way to put it. With probably. So the thing, that's hard, the thing that's hard if you're a Minnesota <laughs> fan, probably the most Wigginsy prospect since Wiggins. I think that that's true, and then you're going to pair him with Carl Towns, who is not a great defender, and D'Angelo Russell, who is, let's call not, him a nonchalant defender again. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. that there terrifies real, me. There could be some real defensive shortcomings with that trio, especially, I mean, Edwards is at least potentially a really good defender. Right. Uh, he can get in stance and slide his feet and make some plays, but... His motor just doesn't run hot all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, that motor uh, defensively, I thought it was abysmal this year. Like, I thought he was terrible defensively. And it just is what it is, right? Like, he did not care. Now, will he care when he gets to the NBA and needs to really rely on his defense to make money? Maybe he will. I I'm unconvinced. I will say that mm -hmm. if you take Anthony Edwards, Derek Culver is a good wing to fit next to him if Jarrett Culver figures out his jump shot at some point. Yeah, uh, Jarrett Culver needs to prove he's a good wing to fit next to anybody. Correct. <laughs> After that rookie year he had. I actually think he was really good defensively, I will say that, for a rookie wing at least. But mm -hmm. the offense is going to be a concern with Jarrett. I think that Minnesota or someone in Minnesota did some things to his jump shot that are just unforgivable. Um, and we'll see whether or not he can turn that around. But, yeah, you know, and then if you're taking Anthony Edwards, are you signing and trading Malik Beasley then? Huh, that's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about the Beasley part of this because I, I think you could probably, I mean, the way the league is going, you could probably play Beasley at two and Edwards at three or something. I mean, sure. Edwards is strong enough to check threes. Right, but that's a whole lot of guys that like having the ball in their hand. Well, Beasley, I mean... Be Beasley likes shooting the ball once it's in his hand, certainly, but I don't think he's like a guy who needs right. to pound it a lot. Right, but like if 
you're giving D'Angelo Russell 17 shots a game. You're giving Anthony Edwards 17 shots a game. And then you're giving Carl Towns 17 shots a game, right? Because those two guards are going to dominate the ball enough to where they're yeah. going to take shots, yeah. right? You, like, might, you, might, you, might, you might pay Beasley, but have him come off the bench and play 28 minutes off the bench and start a Kogi for defense. Yeah, like I think that's definitely what you do, but are they going to be happy? Is Beasley going to be happy with that? Is my question. Hey, so you get a four-year, fifty million dollar deal. You, <laughs> you can find a way to be happy. I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Minnesota has a lot to figure out. The Golden State Warriors have a lot to figure out. You and I have uh, talked previously about the Warriors here as well. I agree with you that I think they are the most likely team to move this pick. Uh, I just don't see a guy at number two among that top trio that, like, really helps them in 2020-2021. The only guy I could see would be Obi Toppin. Yeah, uh, I agree with you as someone who is a fan of Obi Toppin and thinks that he is a very interesting player uh, offensively who could really be a great fit with Draymond playing, like, kind of a small ball front court, but... Is number two too early for Obi Toppin? Yes. <laughs> so can you, you know, can you trade down to like seven? Gamble that he's there. Get another, you know, get another veteran too. I mean, that might be a that that would be a conversation worth having internally if I'm in Golden State's front office. So the trade that I brought up was one that I brought up to you ahead of time, and you also wrote it in your thing that you wrote for this morning. I, was, I stole Sam's trade for my column. I love so it. Everyone knows. So yes, this was my fault. This is all my shout fault. Shout out to Sam. Mitchell Robinson and number eight for number two. I think that Nick, Knicks fans hate this, by the way. They think it's like mm-hmm. the worst idea they've ever heard in their lives. I think that it's just worth saying that like the – Feeling around the NBA from people who work in the NBA and across the basketball industry, the feeling about Mitchell Robinson is not nearly as high as Knicks fans feeling on Mitchell Robinson. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I I would say that's accurate. And I think and I think if you're Golden State you're you're a little uneasy with him because Yeah. You're you're trying to win right now and he's still more of a future guy, he's still a little mistake prone and then can he play with Draymond? Yeah, I don't know about that. Maybe at times if you, you know, put him in the dunker and Draymond's at the top doing a short roll. Like, you could make it work, but it's I don't know if it's, like, super clean. I, I think your other front court guy with Draymond ideally is a shoot, someone who can shoot. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And it's just an idea that I had. More than anything, but if I'm the Knicks, I care way more about trying to get a real on-ball creator in this draft. Uh, that is my like number one priority. Or in free agency, like I'm a big proponent of them potentially signing Fred VanVleet. Like they need a culture update. They need a guy who can really help actualize R.J. Barrett because at the end of the day figuring out what R.J. Barrett can be, and I know that you you dislike R.J. Barrett after having seen his rookie season. Uh, well, I, let's – but let's let's not bury him, though. I mean, he's he's still really young. He still has that track record of what he did as a, as a teenager, and he was not in the best position to succeed on a, on a team with eight power forwards and no shooting. Right. And so can you do things to open up the floor for him? Can you get more shooting – around him so that it's easier for him to play with the ball in his hands and go to the hoop and whatnot, uh, which was, which was a real challenge for him this year. And, you know, maybe at the end of that, he still ends up being not that good. And you have to say, all right, well, (laughs) whoops. But I I think you have to ride this out a little further and put him in the best possible position to succeed. And they didn't do that at all last year. Right. And actualizing him with someone like a Van Vliet, I think would be really helpful because Van Vliet can play both on and off ball. He's a great decision maker. He's a great defender. I think that would really help uh, take some pressure off of RJ there. So, you know, that's a, that's a route you could go in terms of filling the lead guard spot, or you could try and get one in this draft like a LaMelo ball. And I think that that would make a lot of sense as well. So I'll be interested to see the way the Knicks go here, but that option for getting that like super high level lead ball handler is off the table. If you don't move up in my opinion. Yeah. Hey, um, can we talk about something here? Speaking of yes, LaMelo, please. What happens if Edwards goes one and Wiseman goes two? 
Is Charlotte taking LaMelo Ball? I don't know. I would if I was them. That's where I have LaMelo projected right now because at yeah. the end of the day, like, look, that team needs a star. Like, they have a lot of really good NBA players. Like, Devontae Graham yeah. is a good NBA player. Miles Bridges, yeah. P.J. Washington, so I, like, good. But they need a star. They need someone they can build around with all of their guys that are good pieces around the star. I So I agree with you on this. I think you, you can't let Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier – uh, determine what you're doing with the number three pick in the draft. So uh, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I think it's a little bit of an interesting choice for them. Maybe they you know maybe they make a trade with one of those other guards uh, to get a because because they're going to need a five and uh, honestly that like they need another good forward too, especially with Marvin Williams gone now. Uh, yep. like I mean there's just a lot of needs there, but yeah, high end talent is the most glaring, and they just don't have that right now. So I, I would do the same thing if, if, if I were them, but it's, it's a lazy, it's, it's not like the super clean fit that, that there would be some other places. No. And if you look back through their draft history, there is a very clear uh, track record here, right? Kemba Walker, all American who won the national title, Frank Kaminsky, multi-time all American, uh, multi-time mm-hmm. final four participant. Cody yep. Zeller, All-American. Miles Bridges, preseason national player of the year, high-profile college player. P.J. Washington, high-profile college player, second-team All-American, if I remember correctly, last year. SEC player of the year, wasn't he? SEC player of the year. They draft high-performing college players. This is what they is do. OB, that is an OB Toppin-ish resume uh, yes. uh, that they're looking, they're looking for relative to these other guys in the draft. That, that is interesting. Like, I really think that Obi Toppin is very strongly in the mix there because everything that their track record is says that Obi Toppin is in the mix with Charlotte. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> was was Obi Top? Was uh, I'm sorry. Was Nneke Okongwu Pac-12 Player of the Year? He wasn't. Uh, he also didn't win Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, which was a disgrace. Uh, I don't know how the coaches and media let that happen. But wow. Uh, Shout out Tyler Bay uh, for reasons unknown to me. Uh, wow. wow. But high-performing, 17 points a game, nine rebounds, three blocks. Like, it's, it's an easy sell. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That Anyeka yeah. Kongwu could make sense there. Hmm. And then Chicago is interesting with a new front office with Arturis Karnisivas, uh and Mark Eversley running the show now. It's going to be Arturis' yeah. pick, though, obviously. Yeah. And uh, you brought up a great tweet earlier, I thought, with, you know, Chicago's probably in a good spot. They can end up with one of Denny Avdia or Isaac Okoro. I'm trying to figure out what direction I think they go. I, I, I mocked them Okoro, but the more I think about it, the more I think that Denny is probably the more likely pick. Uh, so, I mean, Arturis' history in Denver, I mean, they picked a lot of international guys and had some pretty good success with them. Um, so, I guess not to them with too broad a brush here but uh and the bulls need some good forwards too so that that's the other thing that that argues for avdia um and then i think cleveland at five probably looks at whoever's left over between avdia and okoro i would i would think i don't know maybe i mean you could argue for devin Vassell too for them at five but you start getting into teams though with chicago cleveland atlanta where the bigs are going to be completely off the table yeah with Cleveland, I wonder if they are, to be honest. Uh, Andre Drummond has one year left. Tristan mm-hmm. Thompson's a free agent. Kevin Love, I don't know what the future holds for Kevin Love in Cleveland. I don't know if Kevin Love knows what the future holds for Kevin Love in Cleveland. But, and Yeka Kongwu is an interesting guy for me there. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that they need above all is defense. They need to create a defensive identity uh, under J.B. Bickerstaff and under uh, having just taken Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, both of whom were abominations early in their NBA careers defensively. So mm-hmm. I think there's a case for them taking a James Wiseman or an Anyeka Okongwu, but I'm not going to sit here and say that like it would be at the top of my priority list either. Yeah. Yeah, you got Larry Nance still there too, who's who was like arguably their best player last year and is on a pretty good contract. 
Yeah, that's a good point as well. Uh, Atlanta, I really like Tyrese Halliburton for them. I would imagine Okoro will be on the board. Uh, I would imagine Avdia will be on the board again. Uh, I can't imagine Avdia getting past six, given the four, five, six that's right there for that uh, for him. But mm-hmm. uh, where are you at on Atlanta? Halliburton or Vassell are the two names that make sense for me there. Um, if you have faith in Halliburton being able to run the team as the backup one, yep. I think that that's where it makes more sense to maybe go with in his direction. If you don't, then I think Vassell is such a rock-solid 3 and D guy to put around Trey Young that he makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and Detroit, for me, one of Halliburton or Hayes makes a lot of sense. Uh, just as a, as a uh, lead guard that you can play next to Luke Kennard or as a lead guard that you can play next to Derrick Rose. I don't know what their future will be with Derrick yeah. Rose, unfortunately. Uh, but... One of those two makes a lot of sense to me, trying to get another backcourt member. I think I think you got to get a lead guard playmaker type there. I think you go for Killian Hayes. Yeah, uh, that is what I have mocked. The number eight, I have New York. I would imagine Halliburton's in the mix. is a good fit next to R.J. Barrett. I would imagine Obi Toppin is going to be in the mix. Shout out both of those guys being represented by CAA. We'll probably help them yeah. uh, in this uh in this discussion, yeah, that, is there the Halliburton CAA <laughs> combined with the Knicks' needs is kind of <laughs> probably probably the way to bet here. Yeah, and then uh, a Kongwu at nine is what I have now. He kind of fits everything that Washington is looking for as well. Washington getting a Kongwu at nine would be huge for them because I mean they need a a defender in the middle so badly. And the free agent center market isn't great. They don't have a ton of money to spend after they pay Bertans. I mean, that would be a dream scenario for Washington if a Kongu lands at nine. I kind of wonder if there's a way for them to move up to try and, like, guarantee them a Kongu. Uh, I would imagine that Detroit will consider him. I would imagine that the Knicks will probably consider him if they move off of Mitchell Robinson or if they uh, just decide that a Kongu is a four, potentially, which... I don't the know other thing to, is, I mean, I don't know might, what to expect I mean, of this front office. Yeah, it's possible the Hawks trade out of six too, and and that he, and that he goes there. I mean, Atlanta wants to win this year from everything they're they're talking about. Now you can you can question whether that should be their approach, but that that's what they're trying to do. Yep, uh, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. These teams in the West, I think they're all going to be very happy taking the wings. I think that this is where you see the wing run: Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams. Uh, Aaron Naismith, Sadiq Bay, all of those guys. I would imagine three of those four picks are probably going to be wings. I think that's a safe bet. Uh, and then finally, Boston, who has three first-round picks. What do we think Boston does? I can't imagine them keeping all of these picks, no. but you know uh, they're in a weird spot. I'm not really sure what to expect from them. They're either going to try to trade for players or try to package all three to move up. How far do you think they can move up in a draft like this, man? Like, I don't I, know. Just, the problem is, like, nobody's, ex- nobody's that excited about, <laughs> about what's, what's going to be available to them early or late. So it's, 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 it's going to be a hard draft to move. Like, I think picks are going to be out there to, to trade, but I just don't know that, like, the supply is so much greater than the demand <laughs> in this draft. So right. it's going to be really interesting to see what ends up getting done because of that. Cleveland could make sense as a team that like could theoretically try to move down just to rack assets, right? Like if you do 14, 26 and 30 for five, does that help Cleveland? If none of the top three are left on the board for them? If you'll, if you'll take Kevin Love. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Boy, I don't, I don't know though. I think, I think, uh, if I'm Cleveland, I'd probably rather keep that high pick. That's a, That's an interesting one, though. I don't know. Like, I think I probably would rather keep the high pick, but they just desperately need dudes. Like, they need more prospect-level players that can potentially be attractive playing with Kevin Porter and Colin Sexton and Darius Garland and uh, I, who knows if Andre Drummond ends up being a long-term piece there or not. That's an interesting one, Cleveland at five. I'm just trying to think of teams that need assets. Like Charlotte, I don't know if they need assets because they have a lot of really solid young guys. Uh, Detroit could use assets. 
like down to seven. I could see Detroit not loving what's there at seven and then deciding 14, 26, and 30. Yeah, sure, whatever. That's an interesting that could, that one. That would be, be a potential one. Um, is there any other team that you're looking at? I think that this is going to be a very active trade market for these picks. You wrote about that today. Is there any team we haven't talked about in regard to trade that really stands out for you as being active? I mean, I think Philadelphia is going to be active, but I don't know if it's going to be active in, in the context of the draft. Um, Indiana doesn't have a pick except for 54. You could see them maybe. Like if they decide to do something with their roster, I think it'll be to get into this first round and, and select a player. Yeah, I mean, just based on their history, that's what they've liked to do. Yeah, that's a good point. And they, uh, they acquired 32 and T.J. Warren last year, uh, which – Looks like a pretty good deal. Not going to lie to you, John. Uh, that yeah, that, that, that one was all right. Anytime someone can pay you to get a 50-point scorer, I think that's that's a decent trade. <laughs> John, tell the people what you've got coming up. Tell the people where they can find your work. Sure. Uh, so for the, for the Athletic, uh, I wrote about uh, the trade market coming out of the lottery and uh, some, some uh, deals that I hatched up. Uh, including Golden State and uh, including we didn't talk about New Orleans actually, but including them. Um, and then uh, I've, been, I've been writing about uh, my favorite prospects in the draft, uh, so you can you can find who I have rated one through seventy actually. And then uh, I'm going to be writing about the the playoffs as we go on here all all through next week and beyond. I love it. I'm excited that you are back writing about the playoffs particularly because. These playoffs are weird. Uh, I think we're all still trying to adjust to, like, just all offense all the time right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's been – I mean, with the with the shooting background now, too, I mean, I think it's just a, a, just a more offensive thing than ever. Yeah. It's, it's going to be wild, I think. We'll be back here momentarily with Sadiq Bey. Uh, thanks, John, for coming on, and – Give me a give me a second here, and you're going to hear an ad, and then we'll be here with Sadiq Bet. Before we get to Sadiq Bay, I have just a little ad from a little company called DraftKings. DraftKings is near and dear to my heart. Sure, the regular season's fun and all, but there's only one thing that can compare to the excitement of the playoffs, and that's DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. Both basketball and hockey have entered their respective playoffs, and DraftKings is putting you at the center of the action with millions in prizes throughout the week. There is no better place to make it rain. Start playing for free with your first deposit today. If you haven't tried it yet, Daily Fantasy is great. I am an enormous fan. You'll see me enter in multiple lineups a day for the NBA playoffs. You'll see me enter in MLB lineups during the regular season. I am an enormous fan of DraftKings. Uh, you just got to draft your players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points based off of your players' performance. Uh, but if Daily Fantasy is not for you, DraftKings also just launched Best Ball Contest for football season. If you aren't familiar with Best Ball, simply head to the app now and check it out. There's no better way to put your sports knowledge to the test than to compete for millions of dollars in prizes throughout the week with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app and use that promo code RUN to play free with your first deposit today. Compete for millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs this week. That's promo code RUN to get a shot at millions of dollars in prizes all week long. Only at DraftKings, there's a minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Now, let's get to that interview with Sadiq Bey, who is something in the range of a late lottery pick, potential first-round pick. All right, and we're back on the Game Theory Podcast. We've got potential, uh, I would even say maybe likely, first-round pick, Sadiq Bey in the building from Villanova. 
First team all Big East this year, the Julius Irving Award winner for best small forward in college basketball. And one of the guys who's been uh, one of my favorite prospects throughout the course of the year uh, to track. And, you know, I've had him right around the lottery level throughout the course of the year, uh, basically since December. So, Sadiq, thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank, thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. So the thing that I start with with every prospect who comes on the show is just simply explain your own game in your own words. Uh, how would you describe the way that you play, and what do you think you can bring to an NBA team? Um, I would say a, a versatile wing, um, uh, kind of more of a do-it-all. So, you know, need, need whatever the team needs, uh, if I need to play make or – score you know I could I could do that and but uh really try to hang my hat on defending and rebounding and, and being a versatile defender and uh and so just be a good great two-way player and that's that's where I, I would describe my game and obviously needs needs to improve for sure but uh I would say definitely two, a two-way player yeah I'm really glad that you brought that up uh the Big East didn't necessarily name an all-defense team, but uh, you certainly would have been on the all-defense team had they named it. And we'll get to you know your translation to the NBA in a second here. But I kind of want to start with your journey to this point because yeah. it's very interesting, man. Like you started at DeMatha High School. You're from Charlotte originally. Uh, I think that your hometown is somewhere in Maryland, right? Yeah, Largo, Maryland. Yeah. So you started to Matha, and then you transfer to Sidwell and Friends because of the academics. Uh, you know, DeMatha yep. is this massive uh, athletics factory almost, right? Like an incredible uh, school. Yep. It's where uh, Markel Fultz went. It's where Chase Young, the number two overall pick in the NFL draft, went. Uh, what was that decision like when you decided to transfer? Um, just – uh, like you said, academically, and I think it was just I had a great opportunity uh, to play for uh, Coach Singletary uh, as a great, great coach um, in, in the DMV. And uh, I think I had a great opportunity on both ends of getting the best out of both worlds for, for basketball and, and for academics. So I think it put me in a great situation and, and helped me excel on, on both ends. So I think it was uh, the best choice for me. So you went through a growth spurt. Throughout high yeah. school, uh, if I remember correctly, you were like five foot nine, five foot ten or so your freshman yep. year, and yep. now you're something like six eight, six nine, right? So, yeah. Yep. What did you grow to it each year? Like, you know, going from then until now, like how much taller did you get each year? It was real gradual. Um, I would say I used to about five eight actually. So I was five eight, five nine to about six foot, six one. And then I went to six three. Then I went to like six five, and then six seven. My senior year of high school, and then by the time I got to Villanova, I grew like an extra inch, inch and a half. So, um, yeah. So it was just blessing by God for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it kind of transformed the way that you were seen as a prospect. And like I was talking to you about before we got on, I mean, the first time that I'd seen you, uh, you know, on tape or live or anything like that was. I think going into your senior year even, and I, I was just sitting yeah. there kind of like, why is this guy not considered to be a much better prospect? Just because he kind of brings everything to the table that teams are looking for now. He can shoot. He can play multiple positions. He plays with a great attitude and uh, really plays with the kind of uh, mentality that winning teams have, right? So, yeah. What was that process like for you, kind of being under the radar up until that final breakout until your senior year? Um, it, that's kind of how the narrative of my life has always been. Uh, it, it was, uh, it was, you know, great, you know, about to be able to find a school that you know that fit me. But um, it just kind of just really humbled me every year. And I, that's how I've been every year, um, kind of more under the radar and and um, just kind of just try to keep working on my game. Uh, each year and not really worry about, you know, what people say and just kind of control what I can control and, and keep my faith. So uh, that's kind of what my mentality was. Um, and that's how it's always going to be. That's a, that's a very Villanova answer. I love it. Yeah. For uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> originally true, though, 
you were not committed to Villanova. You were committed to NC State. So what yeah. made you originally commit to NC State, and then what made you make that switch? Um, you know, I, I, I loved uh, Coach Keats and um, this the whole NC State the program. Uh, my my lead recruiter, he uh, A W Hamilton, he got a head coaching job um, at Eastern Kentucky. He was a great guy, and, and mm-hmm. I still loved um, you know Coach Keats and and uh, just NC State in general. I just I just loved it. Um, you know, some things that kind of went on, some investigations that went on with the FBI and. Yep just around Adidas basketball and you know it's just it's one of those things that's unprecedented you don't know you know what can happen so I just try to uh make sure I didn't take any unnecessary risk um it was a tough decision but uh I just felt you know that that was that was the best decision for me and then by grace of God uh, you know uh, Villanova was uh available so I took an unofficial there and um I loved it immediately so a couple of days later I was saying like no this is where I want to go for sure yeah, real quick shout out to A.W. Hamilton. He just released a video yesterday announcing that he was diagnosed earlier this summer with cancer, uh, and mm-hmm. it's now all gone. And it's in remission. So uh, yeah. it's a really inspiring video. Go to East Car- or Eastern Kentucky's uh, Twitter yeah. page to go learn more about it. It was uh, really, really inspiring yesterday when I saw mm-hmm. the video. Um, but getting to Villanova then, Villanova has a very real, specific way that they like to play, and yeah. – Typically, that does not end well for freshmen who expect to come in and play early, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It can be very difficult to adjust to what, yeah. uh, how specific uh, Jay Wright and the coaching staff is about role allocation and what they want you to do. So it said yeah. a lot to me early on that you basically stepped in and we're in the rotation from day one. What was that adjustment like to college basketball, especially playing for uh, a coach at Villanova that really does demand excellence uh, quickly or else you're going to sit your ass down on the bench? Yeah, for sure. I'm mean, just trying to make sure I, uh, you know, keep studying the game before I got there um, and, and really try to emphasize my body and make sure I was physically ready before anything. I didn't, I didn't want to come in and, and not physically be ready, because uh, then that's a whole other battle. So, um, you know, I came in and wanted to be as physically ready as as possible, and um, and then just do whatever they they wanted me or needed me to do. Uh, not worry about my own ego or any things. Just had to come in and whatever they needed. That's what uh, I wanted to do. So, um, and that's what that's what my mentality was definitely my freshman year. When you committed to Villanova, was their reputation for player development uh, a big selling point for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, they're so hands-on, um, making sure that everybody tries to reach their fullest potential. So uh, it was uh, definitely, uh, you know, a point of, of emphasis for them in my recruitment, and uh, I loved it immediately. What were some of the big things that you feel like that you learned at uh, Villanova that are going to prepare you for the next level? Just continue to just create habits that, that's going to help me um, in, in difficult situations. Um, I just want to make sure I'm just make sure I work on every facet of my game, you know, on and off the court, and and um, just to be ready and always be ready, always never have to you know get ready uh, or just stay ready, you know. So I think. You know, for me, just making sure I prepare my my mind, body, and soul, and spirit uh, at, for any for everything and every situation. I think it's really it's really helped me uh, become a better man and player. Villanova, over the course of the last, let's say, you know, three, four, five years, their players have come into the NBA and basically immediately stepped into a role, basically regardless of where they've been drafted. You know, Eric Pascal this year goes in the second round was yep. an immediate role player. Jalen Brunson uh, went in, second-round pick, immediate role player in Dallas. Dante DiVincenzo yep. is starting right now as a second-year player for the Milwaukee Bucks, or at least as a part-time yep. starter. Ryan Archidiakono goes undrafted, and he is uh, you know, a backup point guard for the Chicago Bulls. Mikael Bridges uh, looks like one of the best defensive prospects in the NBA already as a second-year player. Josh Hart steps in and is immediately a useful player for the Lakers before getting moved to the Pelicans. What is yep. it about what Villanova does that so extensively prepares its players 
for that next level and to experience success at that next level uh, as quickly as they do? I think just being ready to you know adapt for any situation. I think uh, the coaching staff once you, uh, really stresses stresses um, you know player development and trying to be the best complete player that you can be and not be you know typecaster or saying that this is all you could do. So I think um, and just being ready for every role, like you say, every you go to Nova um, each year, your role can change. You know, so I think coming in to the NBA is, is whatever that team needs and and that you trust that you have a, enough amount of work that you've done in, in college to be able to adapt to any of those roles. So that's what I think uh, really helps. So let's go to your game specifically now. And like I said, kind of in the intro here, I mean, I've been an enormous fan of you the entire year, and it's because of the way that your game uh, looks like it will translate to the NBA, certainly. You knocked down 45% from three this year. Uh, you averaged 16 points. I think you're a really underrated passer and obviously a very good defender. So let's kind of start with the shooting, man. I mean, how much have you improved as a shooter over the course of the you know, few years, the last few years specifically, because, you know, guys, as they go through growth spurts, it can lead to more difficulty shooting, if only because the angles uh, that you're shooting and the trajectory of your jump shot just totally changes, right? How have you kind of maintained that ability to improve as a shooter, even while you've been growing throughout this time? Well, just, um, you know, my coaching staff does a great job in trying to make sure the mechanics are right when you shoot. And uh, mm-hmm. just a lot, a lot of repetition. I and mean, I've had you know, so much access to being able to work on, on shooting every day. And um, just uh, my coaching staff just helping me adjust. You know, like you said, when you get taller quick, you know, it's your shot becomes a little bit more flat. Um, and naturally, so, you know, having to come in um, and – you know, just work extensively every day on my shot and get and getting it to, to the point where I, I could effectively use it efficiently in games. Uh, it's definitely an emphasis, and I, I definitely was working on it uh, countlessly every day. So, um, you know, that's kind of what went into that. Has that, like, kind of natural feel for the game that you've displayed just always been there? Like, if you're attacking a closeout, for instance, like, you're really good at coming to a jump stop like Villanova is so, you know, famous yeah. for implementing into people's games and, you know, surveying the court and finding a guy. Is that something that's always naturally been there for you, or is it something that, you know, as you got to Villanova, you really kind of improved upon? Yeah, I would say a um, mixture of both. Uh, you know, I think like, – like I said before, when I was younger, I was I was so much smaller um, and just mm-hmm. playing point guard and shooting guard. So I had to find ways to um, just learn and study the game and, and know different you know know different things of how to make the right play, uh, no matter you know what size I was. So then coming into Nova, I was just uh, they taught me even more and just better habits. Um, and so you know making decisions uh, was was a big. Uh, no emphasis this year, and uh, I think this that reputation kind of just my whole life of having to have a, just a good feel for the game, uh, you know, it just helped. And definitely, I keep getting better at that. You mentioned earlier that you really feel like that you want to hang your hat on the defensive side of the floor. You know, why do you feel that way? Um, I think you know, I think because once you certain levels, man, I think a lot of people. Uh, have the offensive talent and being able to do a lot of variety of things on that end, and um, you know I just want you know to make you know for me and myself and for uh, one of my image to be you know being able to play on both ends of the floor. And even if I have a bad shooting night, that my team, the team could be, couldn't depend on me on the on the defense end as well, you know. So um, and and as this, this helps me in, in my game every day that uh, that I can make an impact on the game. You know, on both sides of the floor, so that that's definitely the emphasis that I've always had, and I've always been told and coached through that uh, my whole life. I feel like the game that stood out for me most there this year from you was the Kansas game. You know, you, you did not shoot particularly well in that game. You went one for five from yeah. three. Um, you certainly made an impact in. Uh, yeah. In enormous way, you had five assists, and uh, even though it wasn't working for you as a scorer like it did throughout a majority of the year, 
you really did a great job passing. And then in the second half, you know, Devon Dotson was hitting you guys hard in the first half. You went on to Devon Dotson and you played an incredible role in slowing him down and ultimately getting you guys the win. Is that kind of like just an embodiment of that to you? Just like that kind of, that kind of mentality that you want to do whatever you want for the team to win? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just can control what I can control. You know, I, I work, you know, hard and tirelessly on, on the offensive end and, um, every day. So, you know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, that's fine. You know, I know I put the effort and the work in, but I can control my defensive, uh, effort and energy on each possession. So, uh, that's definitely something that, you know, I've learned, um, at Nova and just within myself that I want to make an impact on the floor, whatever is needed. And, and that's what, uh, that the emphasis is for myself. Yeah, Nova used you against a wide variety of different players, right? Yeah. Uh, from Devon Dotson all the way up to, you know, more stretchy fours that you'd see in the Big East, right? Yeah. True wings they play you on. How helpful do you think that that versatility is going to be given the way that the modern NBA is going? Uh, I think, you know, definitely – you know, help for sure. Um, being able to guard every position is uh, is a goal that you know he uh, and at Villanova that you want all of our all the players to be able to uh, one through five. So I think for me, um, that's something that I would definitely want to hang my hat on being able to you know guard multiple positions. And because uh, you never know what situation you're going to be in, if it's a ball screen at the switch, you want to be confident on anybody that you're guarding or down low in the paint, being able being able to hold your own. So. Uh, it's definitely it's definitely important in, in the game, you know, and something that I definitely want to focus on. Is there something specifically that you're working on right now, or something that you think is kind of a weakness in your game that you really want to improve? Uh, for for me, it's um, every every summer. I think I want to just work on you know every facet of my game. I know that sounds. You know, obviously common to say, but definitely mm-hmm. I always want to focus on my body. And each year I want to see the differences and I see the differences in my body and in every which way. And on the floor is just expanding uh, playmaking opportunities and and uh, continue to try to master and craft my shot. And, and, and on, on the offensive end as, as well as focus on my body and, and get it right so I can be able to, you know, be just as much of an impact on the defensive end as well. So I think – just trying to be the, the most complete player I can be every summer. I think that's uh, what I really try to focus on. So not any one thing specifically, but uh, just those combinations. I saw you this summer, this past summer, back at the Nike Basketball Academy out yeah. in Southern California. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you were knocking down shots with ease. You were uh, specifically playing like a pretty big catch-and-shoot role there. And I thought it was pretty similar to the role that – you were going to play in the uh, NBA where you were just attacking closeouts and being dangerous and playing unselfish basketball. Uh, how much did being in an environment like that where you were around, you know, what is theoretically many of college basketball's best from uh, Cole Anthony was there, uh, Cassius Winston was there, Peyton Pritchard was there, um, you know, Yudoka Azubuke was there, Obi Toppin was awesome there. Like, how much yeah. did getting a chance to measure yourself against guys like that and coming out you know, playing exceedingly well, in my opinion, uh, how much did that help you gain the confidence that, you know, hey, this is this is where I'm at. Like, I can play on the court yeah. with these guys. Yeah, uh, like you said, uh, for sure, I think it definitely helps, you know, confidence-wise. And, and just to learn and, and, and read um, and just learn from a lot of those guys that were even working the camp, you know, and um, I think playing against you know some of the best of the best um, obviously helps you and makes you play at another level at a different level and and it's one of those things where you know we all don't really know each other so we all just trying to adapt to different roles and and is that's important is being able to play with different different people um, and I think that's definitely going to help at the next level as well. So. Every podcast I finish with three questions and we'll get into the off the court stuff with the second question here because there's something specifically I want to ask you about. But the first question that I end every podcast with is who was the best player you played against this year at Villanova? I, I, you put me in a, in, a, in a tough spot right there. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, you guys played a this. loaded schedule, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, so yeah, somebody asked me this before, and, and I couldn't even give them a, a good answer. Uh, but uh, wow, um, we played against we played against some great players. Um, uh, I mean, in our conference itself, uh, Miles Powell, Marcus Howard were were, were uh, some of the top players in the country uh, by themselves. Uh, they're comparable, and then. Um, Big Azubugi from Kansas, man, he's 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 tough as well. So I, I can't, I, I would say between those three, but um, now, yeah, I mean yeah, that's tough. Also, <laughs> the point guard from the point guard from Baylor too is is really good too, Jared Butler. Um, they're all in the same category for me, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean they're all potential pros. I think like all yeah. in that, uh, yeah. you know second round pick, you know, maybe late first in yeah. some cases range. So definitely uh, you picked, you picked four good ones there, I think for sure. Um, yeah. The second question here is typically I ask, you know, players in the middle of this crisis right now, that the country is going through uh, with the pandemic. You can't get out as much. What are you watching on TV? What kind of movies are you watching? But your agent told me that you're a big horror guy. You love watching horror movies. Yeah. What is it about horror movies yeah. that kind of stand out for you? I just love the uh, the challenge. I mean, I think when I was a younger kid, I, I watched a lot of you know rated R horror films. I, I probably wasn't supposed to. I was probably too young, <laughs> but I, I I just realized that you know some of those movies just couldn't. Scare me as well. I think it was just a challenge just to see what movies can really, like you know, really try to scare me or really you know make me say like, oh, this, this is a really good one. So I think uh, just after that, man, I just I just loved it. I, I just fall fell in love with it, man. It's definitely my favorite genre. What is your favorite horror movie of all time? Favorite horror movie. Um, that's also also a tough one because uh, for me it's mm, mm. you can have like Texas Chainsaw and Saw. Like, I love those movies. Um, yeah, those are those are good ones. But also like like Insidious or mm. The Conjuring. Like those those type, but I'm a big Joker fan. So that that last the Joker, I don't know that it wasn't supposed to be scary, but I love I love that movie. So I, I I don't know why I put that one in there, but that's no, definitely that, a great one. That shit was scary, man. Like just watching <laughs> that whole thing. Like I know that you're right. Like it's a, it's more of like a character drama, but like yeah. man, that yeah, was nah. watching him yeah, like go through great. like a transformation. That was fucked up. Uh, yeah, yeah, I loved it. What is the most <laughs> recent horror movie you've watched? The most recent? Um, good question. Um, I think uh, Us. Have you seen Us? Yeah. Um, it's yeah, about, yeah. yeah. Us was the – I've watched it before, but, I mean, recently, uh, that's, that's the one I could think of at the top of my head is Us. Or, you know, Don't Breathe as well. That's a good one. Don't Breathe was really good. Uh, yeah, us is also yeah. just like amazing. Like Jordan Peele, the two movies he's done so far, Get Out and Us, they're just like yeah, ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah, and yeah, like they ridiculous. get better like the second and third time that you watch them. It's unbelievable. I'll, I'll give you one recommendation if you have Shutter, which is like the like horror movie like streaming service. They just okay. released a movie called Host, and it's like Host. a it's like a Zoom call where they're doing like a seance, and it gets. It gets fucked up. You should watch it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. I need that. <laughs> I need to watch that. So this process has been very different uh, than what I would imagine you were anticipating when you went yep. into the pre-draft process, right? Uh, yep. How has it been different than what your expectations were? And how are you kind of managing? Uh, because you should be on a team already. You know what I mean? Like if this yep. is a normal yep. draft process, it would be – you know, I think June June 25th was the draft before yeah. this yeah. Uh, whole thing happened. Yeah. So how are you kind of navigating everything that comes with this? Um, this is, I'm trying to just adapt. Uh, I know it's unprecedented times around the world just in general. So 
Um, I just look at it like that. I know this is like a you know a small you know speck and what's really going on, but I think for me it was just trying to adjust um, and just kind of just be ready. I have extra time to get ready um, and, and stay ready and lock in on my body and my craft and, and just be ready for you know whenever you know that time comes. Um, I think that's what the attitude. That's how the, that's my attitude. You know, been every day. And uh, I'm, just, I'm excited, to, to say the least, you know. So, The last question that I ask every prospect that comes on here is, you know, coming up here, you're going to get a pretty real substantial contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to, you know, make more money than what you probably imagine yourself making at some point in your life. Yeah. What yeah. is the first thing that you want to buy whenever you get that deal? Uh big you mean like a big purchase or like immediately like you know like yeah let's let's do both because like for instance um you know i've had people like isaiah stewart was on the last one of these that i did and isaiah was Mm -hmm. like i want to take care of my family right um yeah you know and and then i always ask like you know obviously that's true but uh you know, what's that what's that one thing that you've been looking for yeah. in your life that you uh, might not have had enough money to get but now you're gonna have it yeah uh, I would definitely say buy buy my mom buy my mom a car for sure mm-hmm. um, that's that's my my first thing and then try to get maybe give me a car or whatever you know probably <laughs> those, those two right there but definitely try to take care of my family first um you know they've done so much you know for me so Try to take care of them. Uh, I think it would be my first, my first goal. That has been Sadiq Bay over at Villanova. Uh, as you can tell, great dude, uh, and someone that I think is going to have a lot of success at the NBA level. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do all that you can to support the podcast. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Mm-hmm.